0: present the unbelievable truth the panel game built on truth and lies in the chair please welcome david mitchell
1: hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies i'm david mitchell many thanks to listener brian davis who's written to tell us that his family play their own version of this show every christmas day Your letter, Mr. Davis, is now with our copyright lawyer, and we'll see you in court. (laughs) As for the panel, well, we've never had a Pulitzer Prize-winning author on the show before, and that's not going to change tonight. (laughs) Please welcome Richard Osman, Sindhu V, Ellis James, and Alan Davis. The rules are as follows. Each panelist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five hidden truths which their opponent should try to identify. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panelists can win points if they spot a truth, or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is Richard Osman. Richard, your subject is Google. A company known for its popular internet search engine, as well as its mapping service, email provider, video site, smartphone operating system and others. Off you go Richard, fingers on buzzers the rest of you.
2: Google was founded in 2012 by the former international cricketer Graham Onions, BBC Middle East correspondent Ola Gurin, and the comedian Lee Evans. They came up with the name by combining their initials. <laughs> I discovered that fact using the excellent search engine Ask Jeeves, which in turn (laughs) was created by Jenny Eclair, Ed Vasey and Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Because Google was created in a child's bedroom, its first... Ellis,
0: was Google invented in a child's bedroom?
2: No. 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 That was such an early easy trap.
0: (laughs) All right.
1: (laughs) Ellis, all you've done is earned Richard's disdain. Um, It was, in fact, started in Susan Wodjkiki's garage in Menlo Park, California.
2: Its first computer was a Dora the Explorer abacus, the first Google company car was a remote-controlled Batmobile, and its first server rack was made out of Lego. (laughs) The most popular Google search trend in 2016 was, Can Donald Trump win? The most popular Google search term in 2017 was, What happens when we all die in a nuclear explosion? (laughs) The most popular Google search trend in 2015 was David Mitchell's Hot New Beard. <laughs> Other celebrity stories which have been the most searched trend of the year include Michael Jackson Still Alive, Justin Bieber Syphilis, and David Mitchell vs. Kanye West Rap Battle to the Death. Sindhu.
3: Michael Jackson's Still Alive?
2: No, that's not true. I mean, A, he's not
1: alive. <laughs> So you I think it was quite widely reported when he died
2: Yeah, I but I was, mean, it's, people it's still like think
3: Elvis is alive
2: Yeah, he is alive though Yeah, yeah. there <laughs> you go yeah. Google Street View has three main uses Judging the curtains of the people who live in your old house Wondering where you parked the car four years ago And checking whether Rickmansworth has a Costa <laughs> Even though the drivers of Google Street View camera cars Have to drive at under 30 miles an hour while filming By law, they have to wear crash helmets and neck protectors
1: the thing hour. about the speed. No, the Aww. thing about the speed is not true. Has he said anything true?
4: Sir?
1: <laughs> um, well, it's not for me to say. They don't uh, have to drive. They can, they can function at over 30 miles an hour. And in 2016, the Daily Telegraph published a story showing how a Google Street View car successfully filmed itself travelling at 37 miles an hour in a 20 miles an hour zone when its speed was flashed up by a street-side speed-check sign in a residential road in Glasgow.
2: <laughs> When Google want to street view a desert, they simply use a camel instead of a car. When they want to street view an ocean floor, they use a submarine. And when they want to street view Kensington, they use a completely unnecessary 4x4. <laughs> there is a special Google for babies called Gurgle. A special, a special Google for Scottish people called Dougle. And a special Google for people who don't understand how the internet works called Bing. <laughs> people who work at Google are called Gooners people who work at Google Maps are called geographers, and people who wear those ridiculous Google Glasses are called Glassholes. <laughs> Google Maps is nothing but trouble. For example, because of commercial rivalries, they refuse to admit that the Amazon exists. In 2008, <laughs> just, I'm not hearing many buzzes. <laughs> In 2008 the US government was forced to spend 300 million dollars moving their nuclear missile base from Damascus, Arizona after Google Maps revealed its
0: location. Ellis That's true. Cuz Google put it on Google Maps by so mistake. <laughs>
1: that the government was forced to spend 300 million dollars moving a nuclear missile base. It's not. True. Oh my oh, god. My god. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. My head's gone now. I've completely
5: lost confidence in <laughs> Alan. Oh, Alan. What about the Googleographers? Is that true? No, that's not. True. <laughs> no, no. No.
2: Is it going to be the last five things he says are true? He's yeah, going to say them really, really quick. Uh, in 2010, Google Maps caused Nicaragua to invade Costa Rica when they drew that's the border in the nonsense, wrong place, isn't it? And in, 20- <laughs> and in 2012, whales disappeared for 45 minutes. So,
1: so, uh, you can't look, can't look at me for confirmation, Ellis. You just, have to, you just have, to, you have to go with your gut.
2: Thank you to Ask Jeeves for all that information. <laughs>
4: God, I hate
1: him. Thank you Well um, at the end of that round, Richard, you've managed to smuggle all five truths past the rest of the panel. Um, something, something which I believe only Alan Davis has ever previously done on this show. Wow, yeah, I've never um, done it before, yeah. That's for sure. Wow. Um, and the five truths that you all <laughs> missed are Google's first server rack was made out of Lego. The server rack is the frame in which the server computers are housed. Uh, It was built from Lego as the team considered it a more cost-efficient and expandable storage solution. The second truth is that a celebrity story that was the most searched trend of the year was Justin Bieber syphilis. (laughs) In 2010, the website 4chan asked its users to search for the item Justin Bieber syphilis and the term topped the Google Trends hot searches list for that year. The third truth is that when Google want to street view a desert, they use a camel. Raffia, a ten-year-old camel, was used by Google to photograph the landscape of the Liwa Desert in Abu Dhabi. She captured rolling sand dunes, an oasis, and fellow camels for Google Maps. (laughs) The fourth truth is that people who wear Google Glasses are called (laughs) glassholes. In 2014, the name glassholes became the term du jour for people wearing Google Glasses. There was common resentment directed at people who used their glasses when mobile phones weren't allowed, filmed people without their permission or were generally rude and staring off into the distance for long periods of time, watching things on their glasses. (laughs) And the fifth truth is that in 2010, Google Maps caused Nicaragua to invade Costa Rica when they drew the border in the wrong place. (laughs) Nicaraguan troops crossed the border into Costa Rica, took down a Costa Rican flag and replaced it with their own. The troop's commander, Eden Pastora, told a Costa Rican newspaper that the invasion was not his fault because Google Maps had mistakenly marked the territory as being part of Nicaragua. And that means, Richard, you've scored five points. Okay, we turn now to Ellis James. Ellis, your subject is rugby. A sport in which two teams try to score points by carrying an oval ball across a particular line or kicking it over a bar fixed between two posts. Off you go, Ellis.
0: Rugby union was invented in Wales, and the Welsh citizenship test only has one question. If you fail to answer in the affirmative that Wales winning the Grand Slam was the best day of your life, you are immediately sentenced to 110 years in Swansea Prison, where patriotic inmates will practice conversion kicks on your private parts in exchange for facts, The game was initially codified by gentlemen savages, so even though eye gouging was regarded as a pleasant diversion from the genuine rough stuff, rugby school's first official kit in 1871 included a bow tie and ceremonial ear trumpet. As the olden days equivalent of Facebook, rugby was a great way to meet people, as until the 1840s, rugby matches could have up to 300 players.
2: Richard. I think old rugby games could have had an awful lot of players.
1: That's absolutely true. Alan. What about that bow tie? Is that true? That's true as well. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this almost seemed deliberate, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, those <laughs> two are both true.
1: This are the truth guessings really shot up. <laughs> um, uh, yes, for nearly twenty years after the birth of rugby, there were no formal positions and anybody could join in. Teams were often uneven, such as in one game played in 1839 where Rugby School House, 75 players, played the rest, 225 players. <laughs> it was only in 1840 that a fixed number of players was agreed upon. At that point it was 17 forwards and three fullbacks. And yes, Rugby School's first rugby kit consisted of an ordinary shirt and bow tie with a thin vest over the top and heavy-duty boots.
0: (laughs) This unfortunately meant that if all the players wanted to drink vomit out of a pint glass in the clubhouse afterwards, tragically there often wasn't enough to go round. It was the great vomit shortage of 1897 that led to teams of 15 being agreed upon apart from the north of England, where people like their pint of spoo to have a head on it, which is why Rugby League has teams of 13 instead. In recent years, rugby authorities have clamped down on the more grotesque forms of team bonding. For example, after the 1987 varsity match, the scrum half for Cambridge was hospitalised after having 158 editions of the Wisden Cricketer's Almanac placed up his anus. (laughs) The limit, is n- <laughs> the limit is now set at 55 volumes. <laughs> Even Idi Amin, a keen player of the game, was put off it for life when he realised that team bonding involved other players urinating on his favourite childhood toys. The- Sidhu, is,
3: is it true that Idi Amin was keen on the game?
0: That is absolutely oh.
3: true, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yes, Idi Amin was a keen and noted rugby player when serving in the British Army, one British officer wrote of him, Idi Amin is a splendid type and a good rugby player, but virtually bone from the neck up and needs things explained in words of one letter.
0: <laughs> um, the University of Pittsburgh side was banned from campus for eight years after being found practising with severed human heads. This punishment was described as political correctness gone mad by Nigel Starmer-Smith on BBC One's rugby special and about right by John Inverdale. <laughs> Roughly 100% of all English rugby players are posh and in the early days the sport had a far more refined vibe with players like Dolway Walkington wearing a monocle he would take off before tackles and put back in to wave to his mistress in the crowd who was apparently very, very sexy. (laughs) Arthur C. Grayling would spend half time eating goose and play the second half with a toothpick in his mouth before leaving the game early to go game hunting often playing the last ten minutes of a fixture accompanied by his Spaniels and with a shotgun under his arm to get his eye in.
1: Richard, Arthur C Grayling. No. Oh. No, Arthur C Grayling did not exist.
4: Yes!
0: <laughs> oh, I've tasted pleasure and pleasure is sweet. <laughs> I can go home now. Yeah. <laughs> Cauliflower ears are somewhat of a fetish in Wales, but then so are carrot noses and turnip breath. A man from Cunwell Elved with such bad cauliflower ears he needed surgery was nevertheless able to impregnate the entire village. He would leave parts of his ear on the bedside table of every woman he slept with as a thoughtful keepsake, and several volumes of poetry have been written about him. When he died, a number of his former lovers got together and made a big soup in his honour. (laughs) which they then ate naked in the local chapel vestry. Welsh women who like rugby are highly sought after as wives, and the bikini round in Welsh beauty competitions has been replaced with a round where women in stilettos practice on scrum machines in driving rain. This has been endorsed by the International Rugby Board and Prince William. Thank you, Ellis. And-
1: and at the end of that round, LSU have managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel, which are that the University of Pittsburgh side was banned from campus for eight years after being found practising with severed human heads. In 1982, to intimidate their opponents, the, the University of Pittsburgh Rugby Club brought preserved human heads pilfered from the university's School of Dentistry to practise with before a match against Juniata College. They were banned from the campus for eight years, all the players were suspended and two had criminal charges brought against them. <laughs> and the second truth is that a player called Dolway Walkington wore a monocle during <laughs> matches. Despite playing for Ireland eight times, captaining the team twice and scoring Ireland's first ever drop goal against Wales in 1891, Dolway Walkington is more often remembered for his poor eyesight and the fact that he sometimes wore a monocle while playing, removing it when required to make a tackle. <laughs> and that means, Ellis, you've scored two points. <laughs> Prince Charles had his nose broken by a bully during a rugby game at Gordonston. I'll get them back as soon as I'm king, he thought. <laughs> 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 Next up is Sindhu V. Before becoming a comedian, Sindhu worked as an investment banker and her parents have asked me to remind her tonight that it's not too late to go back. (laughs) Sindhu, your subject is bananas. Long curved edible fruit with soft sweet white flesh and yellow skin when ripe. Off you go,
3: Sindhu. The Bible tells us that bananas have been around since the Garden of Eden and early records show that they came to the West in the year 63 BC from Asia on the Silk Route as far as Roman Syria where, in fact, they first became available from the Emporium of Pontius Atollicus fruiter, but only on Tuesdays. Ellis. Thanks. 63 BC, coming over via the Silk Route.
0: No. Maybe. <laughs> can, can, we, can we not argue that maybe nowadays truth is quite a flexible concept?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yes, you make a, a powerful satirical point. But, <laughs> um, But no, bananas did not come via the silk route. Bananas originated in Southeast Asia and came uh, into the Middle East via trading routes across the Indian Ocean, not the more northerly silk route.
3: In many parts of Africa, South America and the Caribbean, banana is the default fruit name. So a fire banana is the name given to a strawberry, round banana to a gooseberry, winter banana to an apple.
2: However... (sighs) Richard, is an apple a winter banana? You're right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yes, the winter
1: banana is a popular American apple variety named for its distinctive banana-like flavour. One grower comments, I have enjoyed winter banana on numerous occasions. (laughs) I seldom detect the essence of banana, but do recall a time in 1990 when I was walking up to the orchard on a warm day in early October, and well before I could actually see the tree, I detected the heavy sweet perfume of fresh bananas permeating the entire orchard. What a marvellous experience. <laughs> I, I've just read that out to make this bit of the programme more like Radio 4, the rest of the day.
3: <laughs> if you ask for banana in Antigua, they won't know what you're talking about because they call them figs. Since 1987...
1: Ellis.
0: I've got a horrible feeling I'm wrong, but the fig thing? <laughs> That's
1: true. Yeah! Yeah. That's... <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Small and sweet-tasting bananas that grow in Antigua are known locally as figs. What do I win? (laughs) All you've done is you've paid off some of your colossal debt. (laughs) That's
3: true. Now, since 1987, EU Commission Regulation 2259-87 has stipulated that bananas must have a curvature equivalent to an arc with a radius between 1.3 and 1.7 metres. If the fruit's curve is greater or less than these parameters, it is to be classified as a biscuit and liable <laughs> and, and and is liable to VAT. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a small banana plantation at his California ranch and often wears a banana pin in his lapel as he regards bananas as his lucky fruit. He made his film debut in the movie Hercules Goes Bananas. (laughs) The New York Times said that the film had too much Hercules and not enough bananas. (laughs) Bananarama's first single, which might have done better in the charts if they hadn't sung it in Swahili, was I A Moana, which means girls just want to have bananas. (laughs) TV master chef Hunk, Greg Wallace, spent three months rubbing banana skins into his scalp as a hair restorer. Amazingly, it worked, and he now has incredibly hairy fingers. <laughs> in the latest Dan Brown blockbuster, Hellhole, a Spanish banana warehouse owned by the Vatican disappears into a mini black hole. This would come as a no surprise to students of physics who know that bananas produce antimatter, which is why supermarkets are not allowed to sell them in bunches greater than six. And finally, Meryl Streep famously has enormous hands, and at school her nickname was Nelly Bananas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sindhu. (laughs) And at the end of that round, Sindhu, you've managed to smuggle three truths past the rest of the panel. (laughs) The three truths that Sindhu smuggled past are that Arnold Schwarzenegger made his film debut in the movie Hercules Goes Bananas. No way. Arnie's first role in which Hercules arrives in modern-day New York. It's one of the few films Arnie says he regrets doing. I won't spoil the film for you because the writing, directing and acting have already done that. (laughs) The second truth is that Bananarama's first single was sung in Swahili and was A Moana. Uh, it was released in 1981 and the opening lyrics translate as, Oh yes baby, I'm going to our home together with my wife and all the children. Oh yes baby, now it's night, we are very tired, we shall sleep with her. <laughs> um, and the third truth is that bananas produce antimatter. They release one positron, the antimatter equivalent of an electron, about every 75 minutes. This is because bananas contain a small amount of potassium-40, a naturally occurring isotope of potassium. As it decays, it occasionally spits out a positron in the process. Eating 600 bananas is about the equivalent of having one chest x-ray. <laughs> and that means you've scored three points! Bananas have more trade regulations than AK-47s, although bananas cause slightly less grief when they go off in the kitchen. (laughs) Next up is Alan Davis. Alan is best known as a regular panellist on QI. He appeared on the show every week for 12 years until he finally broke Stephen Fry's spirit. (laughs) Alan, your subject is crabs typically sideways-moving crustaceans with flat, round bodies covered by a shell and five pairs of legs with large claws on the front pair. Off you go, Alan. I have happy memories, as a youngster, of catching crabs.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: Very pleased with that one. <laughs> In clapton on sea We'd spend the day on the beach, exploring the rock pools, and then as dusk fell, we'd nip behind the conveniences for some quality time with mucky Doreen from the pie shop. (laughs) Nowadays, getting crabs is much easier. In China now, you can buy live crabs and vending machines which are given by people to their children as pets.
1: Sindhu.
3: I think it's correct about the live crabs and vending machines.
1: It is correct. Well done. (laughs) Yes, particularly between August and October, crabs sell like hotcakes in China, and specifically live, hairy crabs. Many are sold via vending machines, which run at a temperature of between 5 and 10 degrees Celsius, to keep the live crabs in a dormant state. The vending machine crabs come in an edible, transparent container designed to make them feel like they're in a cave, together with some crab vinegar and two bags of ginger tea. You simply drop the container in boiling water to cook. Sounds very convenient. Mm. I love crab. <laughs> you? Yeah? yeah, delicious <laughs> monsters. <coughs> <coughs> Alan. The pom-pom crab
5: brandishes a colourful sea anemone in each claw, not only to defend itself against predators,
2: but also to drum up support for its local team. Richard. I, uh, I bet there is a crab that uses sea anemones as weapons. You're right.
1: The pom-pom crab uses the colourful stinging anemones both to protect itself and also to mop up food particles from rocks which Mm. stick to the anemones' tentacles. Sounds like it's going to a fancy dress party, actually.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But it also makes finding Nemo so much more believable.
5: (laughs) (laughs) If ever you get into difficulties while swimming in the southern ocean, fear not, help is at hand in the shape of the Hoff Crab, named after David Hasselhoff because of its hairy chest, red speedos and unmistakable singing voice. <laughs> in Havana Zoo, Cubans delight in visiting Smokey the Crab, a large soft-shell crab that holds a lit cigar in one claw and puffs smoke. Smokey... <laughs> Ellis.
1: Yeah?
4: <laughs> um,
1: Smokey the Crab yeah. the, from Havana Zoo. Yeah. No, it's no? not true.
5: <laughs> Smokey also enjoys a tot of brandy and wears a monocle. <laughs>
1: Sometimes if you wait a bit longer, these things (laughs) come. (laughs) clear. If
5: you should ever buy a crab-eater seal as a pet, don't be misled and try to feed it crabs, as crab-eater seals don't eat crabs. It's the seal-eater penguin that eats crabs. So when you visit the pet food section in Sainsbury's and you see the tins of seal food, look for the disclaimer on the label, contains no crab meat suitable for crab-eater seals. Richard, the
1: crab-eater seal doesn't eat crabs you're right it doesn't yeah well spotted <laughs> yeah crab eater seals don't eat crabs at all 95 percent of their diet is krill which they suck into their mouths before expelling the water through specially adapted sieve-like teeth
4: <laughs> mm. <laughs> <So that's-
5: laughs> The bird dung crab spider looks and smells like dung. It even attracts flies, which is handy, as that's what it eats. Its greatest natural enemy is the dog owner, who will pounce on the crab, scoop it up and bag it before slipping it into
1: a bin. Ellis.
0: The early part. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: bird dung crab spider. Yeah, that
0: exists. It does exist. Yes!
1: Yes, yeah. (laughs) Guess what it, It The bird dung crab spider looks like a crab... It looks like a crab that's completely covered in bird droppings. (laughs) Uh, It even smells like bird droppings and will sit very still on leaves waiting to attract insects, particularly flies. Most other creatures out in the open would be easy prey for predators, but as Joseph Koh of the Natural History Museum in Singapore observes, birds, almost all with good eyesight, will not go for what appears to be their own turd for food. (laughs)
5: Horseshoe crabs were originally used to protect the hooves of horses. The crabs, still alive, would be nailed in place, then all the horse had to do was keep its balance and let the crabs do the walking. (laughs) (laughs) The practice was brought to an end in 1870 by an Act of Parliament which also banned the sending of young crabs up chimneys and working down coal mines.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Alan. And at the end of that round, Alan, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel. Which is that the Hoff Crab is named after David Hasselhoff (laughs) because of its hairy chest.
4: It's also referred to as the Yeti
1: Crab due to its hairy claws uh, and underside. It occurs in staggering quantities around hydrothermal vents on the edge of the South Atlantic and Southern Ocean. In places, scientists have discovered that as many as 600 crabs per square meter can be living. They use their hairs to cultivate bacteria, which they then eat. Mm. So, the similarity with Hasselhoff doesn't end with the appearance. (laughs) And that means, Alan, that you've scored one point. Which brings us to the final scores. In 4th place, with minus 4 points, we have Alan Davis. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just cannot do anything but come last in quizzes. <laughs> in 3rd place, with minus 1 point, it's Ellis James. <laughs> in 2nd place, with 3 points, it's Sindhu V. <laughs> and in 1st place, with an unassailable 5 points, it's this week's winner, Richard Osman. <laughs> That's about
0: it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Darden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Richard Osman, Ellis James, Alan Davis and Sin The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was Richard
1: Turner. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.